HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. And today I actually have a guest in the studio, which hardly ever happens for me anymore. Almost all my guests are on the phone. But uh, I will be talking today with Sam Fromartz. Sam is the editor-in-chief of the Food and Environmental Reporting Network, uh, one of my favorite um, media sources for all things about the food industry and the environment. Um, And he's here to talk about uh, an event that they have going on tonight at, um, I think it's called the Green Building, is that right? In Carroll right. Gardens. And um, this is, I think, may or may not be sold out. It's worth going on the website to check if you can make it. It's definitely worth your while. Um, it is a an event that sounds absolutely amazing. It's called Fern Talks and Eats. It's going to serve up a lot of Fern's written reporting as a dynamic and interactive storytelling experience paired with delicious food by some of New York City's top chefs, including Peter Endress of Runner and Stone, Richard Q of Pearl and Ash, Jason Weiner of Almond, and the restaurants Tertulia and Franny's. And uh, in addition, some of Fern's writers, many of whom have been on this show, uh, will be joining. Uh, Lisa Hamilton, who I don't know, but Marin McKenna, who's been a regular guest for me, uh, talking about antibiotics in the food chain. Uh, Tracy McMillan, who did an amazing uh, James Beard award-winning story about um, uh, uh, migrant labor about a year or so ago. Did that turn into a book, Sam? Uh, she had a book already, but the yeah. story that uh, she did subsequent to the book was was for us. So that's right. the one. It was an award winning uh, yeah, story. Yeah, it was remarkable, extraordinary. Yeah. And uh, and Michelle Nyhaus, who was on my show a few weeks ago, actually to talk about uh, paddlefish and um, sturgeon roe and sort of the general state of caviar uh, in the United States. Um, and so and then Sam, you will be having a discussion with uh, the one and only Dan Barber. That's right. And what are you guys going to be talking about? Well, we both have books out. Um, mine came out about a month ago yes. um, called In Search of the Perfect Loaf and My Obsessions as a bread, bread maker, yes. amateur bread maker for almost 20 years. And Dan's um, 
you, you know, uh, a book as as well came out in the uh, third plate. The third plate came yeah. out in June. Yeah, and he talks extensively about grains. So we're gonna right. we're gonna kind of unwind grains and breads as oh, well as other fun. other subjects. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, grains and breads. We think of gra- of bread as being basically wheat or rye. Um, nobody, I think, really at this point, uh, most bakeries do not really employ a lot of other grains unless they're very specific artisanal type bakeries. So. Um, you That's guys right. are going to get into some series. What What are the other grains that were commonly used for bread back in the day when people made bread a lot? Well, I think, um, you know, I make the point in the book that wheat was not the default, um, you know, grain that to make bread out of. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was always, you know, diverse grains, barley, rye, buckwheat, um, you know, and these were planted in polycultures, you know, and whatever survived is what you made bread out for the next bread for the next year. And so right. a lot of the varieties of, of loaves that you see mostly in Europe now um, sort of come out of that tradition that really represents a diverse farm. And I think that's something Dan really gets into in the third plate. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I felt like we were having, um, like we were writing, I, I know Dan and he's a friend and we had talked a, a little bit while we were writing our books, but I felt like we were having a discussion without really knowing about it. So now we actually get to have the actual discussion. Yeah, that sounds great. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, when I was uh, thinking about your book on the way over here on the subway, I was like, in this era of gluten-free where nobody wants to eat any kind of bread or carbohydrates or anything like that, it was kind of an interesting moment in time for you to be publishing this really sort of seminal work on bread and all of the different varieties. Can you talk a little bit about how um, that's playing out for you in terms well, of what people ask or what, you know, is it gluten-free? I mean, <laughs> Well, it's interesting because <laughs> I thought I would get a lot of those kind of questions about, about gluten and, um, you know, the issues with it, which I yeah. go at, into a little bit in my book. Um, but actually, um, surprisingly, I haven't. And what I've gotten instead are people coming to my talks who are sort of, um, you know, I get this, this sense from them that, Oh, thank God! I can finally like bread again. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like it's I can. Cool co- it's like, like I can come out of the closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> can know? imagine. Well, I mean, I I love bread myself, and I do limit myself mostly because bread, just in general, is not that great unless you find a good bakery. Right. I happen to have a great bakery locally, but I don't always go to it. But I mean, in general, bread is not my thing. But I grew up making bread. My mom made bread every single week because we just had no growing up in the country. We had no access to good bakeries. And so it was something that we played with a lot and did a lot of different kinds of bread, although she was very hooked on French bread. But yeah, um, yeah. but it's very yeah. And, and actually, the book is kind of similar in, in sort of the questions we explore at, at Fern, which is really understanding the food, you know, our foods and where they mm-hmm. came from and what has happened with them. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned Lisa Hamilton, who's going to be talking tonight at, at Fern Talks and Eats. She did a marvelous story for us, a really groundbreaking story on quinoa. Um, for Harper's Magazine and really explored this whole very interesting dynamic of uh, really a battle over the intellectual property rights of the seed itself, which is controlled by Bolivia, where Uh where it originates. And, um, you know, and researchers who are trying to to research it to bring it to a wider, you know, so that people consume it more widely than, you know, the quinoa we get at, you know, natural food stores or Whole Foods or what, what, what have you. Um, because it's kind of a, in, in many ways, kind of a wonder food. Um, but she, you know, really unpacked that, went to Bolivia. And this is what I love about Fern is we have the ability to really support writers 
you know, give them the the chance to really do the story the right way. Right. You know, so she climbed the 12,000-foot mountain in Bolivia where quinoa was said to have originated. Huh. You know, and she did this with a quinoa farmer there who's very influential, um, you know, met the, the most prominent Bolivian quinoa researcher, you know, wow. and, the, and then and then did the same thing with, with these researchers at, at Brigham Young University um, in Utah, and they're mm-hmm. Mormons, and they really look at quinoa as this potential food that could feed a lot of people. And so, you know, I mean, it, it, it sort of unwound uh, and, and explored quinoa on so many different levels. Now, isn't it true that because of the rise in uh, interest in quinoa around the world, and especially in the United States, that um, quinoa is now being exported to a greater degree than ever before and now leaving uh, the, the indigenous population of Bolivia, Peru. I always thought it was a Peruvian grain, but anyway, uh, short on quinoa, which had been a, a sustaining grain for that, yeah, it's especially not only, the Andean populations. Yeah, and it's not only a sustaining grain, but it really has kind of, you know, spiritual religious significance to the, to the, to the farmers of, of uh-huh. the grain. And so, yeah, that's, that's an issue, but it's also brought you know, economic benefits right. to them. Right. Um, yeah. And so she, she really got into all of that in the story, which we've now posted on our website at the org, And so you could read to your heart's content yeah. about quinoa. So yeah. but that's, that's kind of like, you know, all of the stories we do, all of the writers we work with are kind of doing that, that, that kind of project. And right. I think you'll see, sort of the stand-up version, you know, tonight at Fern Talks. And yeah, Eats. I'm looking forward to it. It kind of sounds like a really amazing event. So um, what else does Fern, I mean, how did you guys get started? Let's unpack Fern for a minute here, because you came on this show when it first started, which is like four years ago, right? We did a right. phone interview, and I was like all gaga about it. I still am. And... Um, <laughs> And it was just like you were literally nascent. I mean, it was just the beginning of the whole thing. Was this your idea? Like, how did Fern come come to be? Because well, you have a very interesting board. You have like very interesting people working with you. Yeah, it really, um, it wasn't my idea. It was kind of an idea of a group of, of people, a group of writers. Um, and, you know, we felt that there were these really talented people out there um, who didn't have outlets for their work. Um, mostly because media was imploding um, mm-hmm. and, and places had stopped, you know, paying for writing and, and everything yeah. else. And no one, um, you know, the type of in-depth journalism that, that we do wasn't being supported. So we thought, one, you know, food and agriculture and environmental health, which are, are areas of, of coverage, are really important issues. People are obviously really interested in it. I mean, yes. we have this radio show overlooking a restaurant. I mean, how, yeah. how you know how more connected <laughs> can you be? Um, and uh, um, we felt that if we could somehow bring the financial means to support writers, um, you know, we could develop stories and then part the partner um, with media companies to produce them. And we would bring some, you know, a financial piece to the table so it would be less onerous in terms of cost for them, right. for the media companies. That's what and, I think is the most interesting aspect of your organization it is that it's not just 
like an online newspaper or, you know, not to diss Grist or Civil Eats or any of the other publications, which I so admire, Mother Jones, whatever, um, but that you actually engage with mainstream media and manage to sell these stories into mainstream media, which I think in a lot of ways, you know, uh, I guess because you bring the financial piece of the puzzle there, but but you, you explore topics that uh, I think a lot of commercial media would shy away from in general because it's perhaps they have an advertiser who wouldn't really appreciate knowing that, uh, you know, pigs are being housed in giant warehouses with rivers of shit underneath them. I mean, you know, like there's there's like a fine line there, I think. And, and I'm wondering how you kind of tread that uh, that ground. There's no conflict of interest between advertisers and mainstream media that has uh, has limited your access to. Yeah, we haven't we haven't found that. And actually, I'm. You know, surprisingly, actually, I thought what we were bringing was kind of a financial piece to the table because we're supported by individuals, some of whom are, you know, everybody coming tonight is actually making a making a donation to Fern Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, foundations and what have you. But the financial piece is actually just one part of the puzzle. And I didn't realize this, this until about a year into the project. And what we're really bringing is access to great writers access to great ideas and we have an editorial team that really develops these stories so in a sense the publication can can partially you know outsource this piece to us and they're kind of overseeing it so it works for their publication but we really bring a lot of a a lot to the table to make it work for them right and so um you know in this time of tight budgets and everything else that you know and editors who are extremely time-stretched um, you know, it makes sense. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. And we have a really great, you know, professional team with you many, do. many years of experience. So we, you know, it's like, you know, in this area of food and environment and ag writing, we're kind of like, you know, we have an, an A team that can really, yeah. really bring great stories. Well, you're kind of food. unique in that way, I think, actually. Yeah, I mean, I mean because we have this focus um, and writers who are interested in this area can, you know, know to come to us because mm-hmm. we'll develop stories in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wanted to go on with you for a second about these stories. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you decide what you want to develop? I mean, somebody comes to you with a story and says, wow, I just read this piece in the paper about uh, paddlefish and sturgeon roe, and I want to write a piece about, you know, the black market and caviar, Yeah, for and example. Ac- I mean, and since actually, we did that show. Right, and that story, Michelle Nyhouse had, had contacted me. Yeah. And she's an amazing, you know, nature and science writer, writer, you know, multiple award-winning uh, mm-hmm. writer. And she said, you know, I saw this little press release about um, these guys getting busted in the Ozarks yeah. of Missouri. It was a great story. Who I were like, it. who were um, harvesting, you know, paddlefish illegally and selling their eggs as beluga caviar yeah. in Europe. I was like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, it was about? really, it was a yummy story. And, um, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, and she's actually going to, gonna, gonna um, she's going to recount that story and, yeah. and some of her reporting around she it tonight. She was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. You yeah. should go back and look at my archive for Michelle Nyhouse because it's N-I-J-U-I-S, I think. N-I-J-H-U-I-S. H-U-I-S, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so she's, she did an amazing job. And that story, you know, it took a, a, a little while to come to fruition um, in part because it was an ongoing federal uh, investigation and trial, uh-huh. which kept getting delayed. And so we kind of waited. But then, you know, the trial wasn't, 
you know, we finally just decided to go with the story. She had enough. So, right. um, so that's that's another one. I mean, she went down to the Ozarks. She met this game warden who was the main guy who was on the trail of these, right. basically, you know, Russian mafia guys yeah. in the middle of Missouri who were, you know, poaching paddlefish. I mean, just which are I- which are sturgeon related. So they're related to sturgeon, which is why they can pass the eggs off. Yeah. Um, for people who don't who aren't that savvy. Right, right. So, but yeah. it was such an interesting, um, you know, and what they were doing, and the idea that the Russian mafia would have targeted this like tiny town in the Ozarks where there's this, you know, clearly a plentiful supply of paddlefish and and not a lot of supervision uh, in terms of fish and game until this one guy gets onto the onto the case. Right. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about Sam um, in terms of fern is why is it, and this is a much broader question. I, when I look at um, like the Times food section or the LA Times food section or Washington Post, and I, you know, I know like Joe Yonan, I know quite well, and not quite well, but I'm friends with him, and, you know, and I just like, and I feel like you guys have hit a nerve. You obviously have a lot of supporters, plenty of people are reading, and yet the food sections of these big or small papers are not picking up on that desire for the public to learn more about food about how it, not just a recipe, not a technique, but like the real nitty gritty stories, which you are reporting, which I report here on this radio network and all, you know, most of my colleagues do. And, and it's like, it's like, there is this real hunger for it. And yet somehow, like, I guess advertising doesn't want to pay for it because it's, I mean, again, we run into that sort of conflict between what advertisers are willing to pay for and what kind of content is coming out. And I, yeah, I think well, that's a difficult question. Yeah, I mean, advertisers are paying for a particular audience. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, these mass media publications, you know, the ones you mentioned, really have to feed that audience. And a lot of them, frankly, are interested in recipes. Um, I did, sure, I did I'm a not bread, dissing them. Yeah, yeah. I did a bread recipe, you know, for the Washington Post related sure. to my book. And I got, like, you know, a lot of email with people asking me questions about the recipe, which is, which is fine. It's like they totally, you know, there's no problem with that at all. It's just, you know, um, this is what we do is, like, one... Uh, you know, in that sort of food writing universe, which can include restaurant reviews, recipes, mm-hmm. chef profiles, you know, this is one, you know, element of that of that kind of venue. But sort of an increasingly important element and something that I feel is really blowing up in terms of at least the West and East Coast public, you know, the reading public, um, people who are interested in food and do want recipes and should get all the recipes that they want. I'm not saying that that isn't an appropriate topic for a food section. But um, I just find it fascinating that um, somebody, you know, some of the fern writers or like somebody like Tom Philpott, who's a regular guest here and writes a lot about agricultural issues. And, you know, it's just like, well, why isn't that going into the times? Why, right. You know, why aren't they picking up on this stuff? And I, I find it very curious that there is almost a complete dearth of uh, reporting on big issues. Well, I, you know, I mean, the Times, you got to give cred to, like, Michael Moss, who did, you know, incredible yes, reporting. I, yeah, sure. You know, for them. But that's, and, like, and they, two or three times a year, maybe? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of those stories take a take, lot of time. Yeah, take a lot of time to, yeah. to do, because they're really groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, so, you know, could there be more... Uh, Probably, you know, but it's it's again, it's that. I mean, I kind of I kind of get it because you know, it's like if you do more one thing, you got to do less of something else. So what are you going to do, you know, less of? You know, and that said, that's why we reach out to so many different venues, from you know, science magazines to food magazines to sort of those with a health slash food bent, right. to even um, you know, online um, places like Medium, 
which we did this fantastic story with Marin McKenna, who's also yeah. talking tonight, um, on the end of antibiotics. And she mm-hmm. kind of looked into the future about what happens when we lose antibiotics. Right. Um, pretty scary stuff that she kind oh. of mapped out. With, yeah, she's you know, terrified. It, was, it wasn't just her. I mean, she was getting these experts from CDC and everybody else to talk about this. Oh, yeah. Um, and that story, like, went viral. I mean, it got yeah. half a million people have read that story. It's been translated into three languages. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, appeared in mainstream media as well as online. It did, yeah. So, so yeah, there, there definitely is an audience for this stuff. It's just a question of placing it in the right place so that it gets that initial hit and then finds that audience. And you tell me about some of the other, some of your media partners. You mentioned Harper's, you mentioned Medium. Where else have you placed stories? Um, The Atlantic, probably. Yeah, The Atlantic. uh, We've done a piece with The Washington Post. We've Mm -hmm. done some broadcast stories with ABC News. Um, We've done uh, NBCNews.com. um, you know, on and on. We've got we've got more than you know. We've got nearly twenty five places that we've placed stories. And how um, do you approach them with this with a story idea, especially if it's sort of off their beaten track? Like I don't think of ABC News as somebody who regularly you know covers food and environmental issues. Yeah, um, well, it's just got to work for their venue with with mm-hmm. television. It's got to have great, got to have great visuals. Yeah, right. and so um, we did a story on. Um, you know, toxic algae blooms and had a picture of kids covered in this green muck. Nice. um, Yeah. Was that from the Lake Erie from the summer? It was related. Uh, Mm -hmm. It wasn't this year. It was two years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it came back this year. Yeah. Um, But, and it was also tied to dogs that died and because they drank the the toxic water water. of these lakes. And And the lakes became toxic with this algae because they were being fed from fertilizer runoff yep. from farms. So. Yeah, I've had Tom Philpot on here to talk about that. I've had Paul Greenberg talking about right, the, exactly. <laughs> the exactly. dead zone in the Gulf. I mean, yeah, totally schooled on the agricultural yeah. implications. So of, that was, you know, not an abstract thing. That was, yeah. there were pretty strong visuals with that. Very strong visuals. With that story. So Absolutely. that's, you know, so that's the kind of thing that, um, you know, that's, we try to take the, the right story to the right the yeah. Right venue. Yeah. Well, so. let's take a quick sponsor drop and we'll be right back with Sam Fromartz from the Food and Environmental Reporting Network. Um, we're talking about the event tonight at the Green Building in Carroll Gardens. Um, check it out and see if there's still tickets. And you're listening to Lung by Iggy Dean on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Since 2001, Heritage Foods USA has sold pasture-raised, antibiotic-free heritage meats to restaurants and homes around the country. 
Our farmers raise their animals with care using traditional methods guaranteed to produce the very best tasting meat. Our pork breeds include Berkshire, Red Wattle, Duroc, Gloucester Old Spot, Large Black, and Tamworth, and our beef comes from Piedmontese, Angus Akiyushi, Belgian Blue, Highland, Simmental, and Belted Galloway cattle. We also carry a rotation of 24 rare breeds of heritage chicken, seasonal specialties like lamb, goat, geese, and of course, heritage turkeys. Visit us online at www.heritagefoodsusa.com or give us a call at 718-389-0985 to place your order today. You're listening to What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and we're talking today with Sam Fromartz, who's the editor-in-chief for FERN, otherwise known as the Food and Environmental Reporting Network, one of my very favorite media sources for information about our food and our environment. Um, so, Sam, you guys got a whopping big grant to do this uh, event tonight, which, by the way, let's, I mean, let's talk about funding, but also let's expand a little bit more because you have, like, performance performers and aside from having people talking and all this great food there's going to be like what i mean yeah. it sounded well, the, like the, really you know multi <laughs> multimedia very hip and contempo really cool stuff yeah well the the really the initial idea was to i mean all our stories about food were, yeah. are about food so it was kind of natural to pair them with chefs sure and the initial idea was let the chefs interpret the talk in a dish and so that's oh, that's nice. going forward. So uh, with with each talk, uh, and there's there's like four talks plus Dan Barber and my conversation. Yeah. Um, there are going to be specific dishes that are paired with the talk. Oh wow! So so um, yeah. So that that came off, and then we brought. So does that in, mean we're going to have caviar? We're going to have paddlefish. Grow. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. Everyone gets one egg. <laughs> I mean, we're a nonprofit, right? <laughs> Um, so, uh, did you make bread? I didn't make bread, but, um, we're getting bread we from runner, your... runner and stone, which is a really oh, marvelous bakery. Yeah. Very close to the venue actually. And, um, Fantastic. Peter Andrus there is a really marvelous, uh, baker and, and it's a re- great restaurant. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so they're doing, they're doing breads for us as well as some, you Wonderful. know, we're going to have some grain dishes. Yeah. Um, you know, Dan Barber talks about, um, you know, eating the whole farm in terms of, you know, all the grains that are grown on a farm and yeah. not, not just like the choice vegetables. So we're going to have a, a dish that reflects that, huh. um, which is, you know, pretty, pretty, will be, will that be pretty good. That sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, but then we're going to have actors who are working with the writers in some cases. There's going to be some music. Uh, Amazing. And we this have, is actually produced by a like producer. Yeah, kind by of a guy. theater director. A theater director. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really it's it's ambitious, but I think it'll be really entertaining. How many and a lot people of fun. can the space accommodate? Uh, I think it's uh, close to three hundred. I think we have food for two hundred fifty people, and I'm told we have five tickets left. Whoa! At this moment for food. Yeah. So where do people go to get that ticket if they want to call Fern in right talks now? FernTalksAndEats.com. Yeah, go there now. FernTalksAndEats.com. Yeah, five, five tickets left. Get on into the yeah. Be hip. Be groovy. <laughs> yeah. 
So I see Jack's on the phone right now. <laughs> so we came up with this idea, and um, we belong to um, an organization that pools all of these nonprofit news organizations called INN, Investigative News oh, Network. Right. Yes. And they partnered with the Knight Foundation mm-hmm. uh, on uh, what, what were called innovation grants. Right. And um, they wanted uh, proposals from nonprofit news organizations um, to um, uh, come up with potentially revenue generating sources and that they would help back the, 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 a, a few organizations in in this initial grant round to try and come up with something basically to make money because yeah. we're all nonprofits, but right. we can't just depend on foundation funding. Sure. Um, so you've got so, to provide some kind of entertainment. Right. So for that, hence, right. that's why we're, you know, selling tickets and, and everything else. And, um, our, our mandate is to really to explore whether this could be a revenue generating model mm-hmm. for us, um, because sure. we have a bunch of sponsors as well. Um, Feel free to mention some of those sponsors. Yeah. I'm all about stroking the sponsors. (laughs) We we got a lot, so I'd have to, I have to look them up. Uh, But, um, um, you know, so they, I think something like, you know, more than a hundred organizations applied and, and just a handful were given the grants. So we, I think it was like eight. Yeah. I was reading the little press release. Yeah. So we, we actually, we actually got, you know, we got the, uh, we got the grant. So the so. grant is actually basically to help you, um, not to be a part of your carrying costs, but to help you produce events to generate revenue. That's the that's the point of these INN grants. Is that Correct. right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. As a way to supplement, mm-hmm. you know, your foundation funding as well as individual donations. How did you guys get the seed money for an event for an organization like this? That must have been you know, we, we really had to journey. just yeah we <laughs> had to we got an, some initial planning grants mm-hmm. um, and then um, you know we just went out and beat the pavement and mm-hmm. I got to say I I'm the I'm like the words guy I'm the editorial guy and, yeah. and luckily I you know I'm very bad at asking people for money yeah so, me too I hate it <laughs> so but luckily we have an executive director um, Tom Laskaway and yes. also Paula Crossfield who's one of the founders um, who was a managing editor and they were they were really the two who got the organization going right. and got the initial grants and right. they are really good at asking for money. Yeah, so, it's a talent, man. Yeah. That's why development people get paid the big bucks. Yeah, it's really not an easy job. Um, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry, and just just our sponsors like WNYC Radio is oh, giving us awesome. promotion, which is great. Annie's, you know, we all know them. Yeah. Um, you know the edible, the edible public communities, is, sure. Yeah, Organic mm-hmm. Valley, the um, you know organic dairy company. Yeah. New York Distilling Company, Sovereign Cider. Fleischer's Pasture Raised Meats, uh, right. Cleaver Company, and um, oh, Mary Cleaver is going to be there tonight, right? I think so. Yeah, I yeah. love her. S- Stonyfield, the Clean Plate, and Happy Cooking. Yeah, so Wonderful. yeah, we got we got a we got you know we got a few that'll help. Is she t- producing food for you, or just part of the sort of general? support system that's a good question yeah not sure <laughs> not yeah sure. well i hope so yeah anyway mary was one of my first employers when i got into the food business as a very young person so we go oh. back a long long way i used right. to work in her kitchen when it was illegal 
<laughs> she probably hate me for saying that, but yeah, I mean, she started out working in her loft on Franklin Street, you know, right? So yeah, and actually, I think she is the she is the one doing doing the food work. Oh, that's with, great. With the She's just a terrific person, and yeah. just been so forward thinking for so long. I mean, she was really a voice in the wilderness for so many years, and then everybody else started getting on the bandwagon with her. It's like. She's the bomb. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. There's so many moving parts in this event with mm. the director, the actors, the writers, the yeah. chefs from the restaurants, you know, the caterer. And and so, uh, you know, I've been sort of, you know, it feels like the Three Ring Circus. Um, and I've been watching a little bit from afar and helping the writers develop their talks. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's really, everybody has like, been amazing. You That's know? exciting. I mean, we got a really great team. So... Hopefully that'll be reflected in the yeah. event tonight. And hopefully know. everybody will have a blast and they'll want more and more and more. Yeah. And you'll just have to keep on adding writers to your stable so that you have more stuff to write about. <laughs> right, right. And we so, do. We do. We, we are constantly getting pitches. We're constantly mm-hmm. developing stories. Um, you know, we're adding people to our team. Um, we recently got George Black, who's this amazing magazine editor who was actually the first magazine oh, right. editor. I think I, we did a little piece with him for, uh, yeah, just when, for our new and notable type, you know, our little news feed here. Right. And the little, he was, when I was a young reporter in my 20s, he edited my first magazine story. Oh, no kidding. Completely lost touch with him. And then he was doing environmental writing, editing, and, um, uh, you know, we circled back because a lot of the writers we worked with worked with George, and so Great. we got it. We brought him in. So, yeah. yeah, it was really amazing. Where had he been? He had been at, at On Earth. Uh huh. Sure. So, oh, the NRDC publication. Right. Yeah, right. I do a lot of interviews with their part, their various people, whether it's their attorneys or their reporters or whatever. I do yeah. a lot of stuff with NRDC. I love them. Yeah, they're and a great. So group. we had been reading. You know, obviously reading them a lot um i know the editors there and then also you know a lot of our writers had been working with them and with george so it kind of just made sense absolutely that's wonderful to to bring them over that's really exciting so now let's talk for a minute about your bread book um where did that come from why did you like you said you've been obsessed with bread for 20 years what what happened so the, the short story is bread is my uh, attempt to keep my sanity as a journalist. Really? And um, I never, uh, or hardly wrote about it uh, because it's what I did to relax. Uh-huh. Um, and before I started bread making, I would consider like chopping garlic with the way that I relax at the end of the day. Kind of like so, ironing. Yeah. I find that very Something. relaxing. Yeah. Cooking so, in general, um, I find intensely relaxing. Right. And so I had moved to D.C. from New York, um, couldn't find any good bread near my house that I liked. Right. So I thought, oh, I'll just start making it myself. Right. And this was the late, late 90s. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, at that time, there wasn't the scene there is now. Obviously, there was, you know, a few, couple of books. Yeah. Uh, Dan Leader at Bread Alone was Beard one. on Bread. Uh, That's yeah, what I grew up with. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't use Beard on Bread because I was like, uh, it was immediately sort of taken by the by the more sourdough, you mm-hmm. know, uh, yeah. approaches. Uh, Nancy Silverton at La Brea Bakery in sure. L.A. She did a great book. And so I just started, I started making bread and, um, you know, it was funny because writers always, you know, it's like everything is material, right? Yeah. But I just, you know, it was such a special time of my day and I just didn't want to confuse it with work and deadlines and everything because I thought I would ruin it. So I purposely like kind of avoided it Uh until the recession hit in 2008. Um, This is pre-Fern. Um, I was out of work and lost a couple of real key key clients that I had done editing for, 
And um, a friend of mine said, you know, do you have any story ideas? And she was editing a travel magazine, and I said, I've always wanted to go to Paris to learn how to perfect a baguette because it's right. eluded me at home for, like, more than a decade. Absolutely. So that became Very hard. that became the first chapter of my so book. So did you perfect it? Well, I, 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 yeah, I got a lot better at it, and I came back, and actually a food writer, um, Tim Carmen, who's now with the Washington Post. Oh, yeah, I know Tim. Yeah, he put my yeah. breads up against all uh, professional bakers in Washington, and my baguettes won in a blind tasting. So, wow, yeah. so, cool, <laughs> Sam. So what's the secret, if you don't mind my asking? The, the biggest secret uh, that I explain in the book is basically time, that bread is slow food. It yes, can't, it is. It can't be rushed. Yeah. And every time you try and rush it, it's you're going to be able to make bread, but it's not going to be very good. So all the, you know, flavor, everything else take really takes time to develop. The great thing about that is it's not time that you're working. The dough is doing the work. Yeah. So and and, and you know it's like any fermented food. You know, pickles take time to develop. Sure. Uh, you know, kimchi, everything else. And bread is the same. Bread is a fermented food. So it takes time for fermentation to work to really bring out the flavors of that of that bread. So I would say that's the most important thing that uh, – and I think recipes are kind of getting – you know, a lot of books are now emphasizing that, which is great. Um, and I kind of explain why, you know, all, all, the, all the facets of why that's important. So if you let your bread rise long enough, then you're going to get a better tasting loaf. What about making the crust crispy and stuff it'll like make that? The, yeah, it'll basically what it does in that fermentation is it converts carbohydrates to sugars. So the loaf will taste sweeter. Those sugars will kind of caramelize and, mm-hmm. and brown, uh, you know, when it's baking. Um, the, the interior texture of the loaf will be will be better lighter and fluffier yeah yeah, uh, um, less dense yeah and um, just yeah in all number of ways so why is it that I mean I've made French bread a million times and um, (laughs) it's okay but it's certainly not a baguette you you gotta read my book I gotta read your book Sam (laughs) did you bring me a copy Uh, you should (laughs) have I, I should have told Naomi. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what? Else, what? Is, what ended up being your favorite um, bread recipe in your from your book? I, I have no favorite. I have like standards that I make. Uh huh. Um, I mean, I make kind of a house loaf that has um, rye, whole wheat, uh, some white, and lately I've been adding buckwheat to that mm-hmm. to that mix, and it's really cook it really dark it's really a great sourdough loaf. Mm. Um, so you advocate a sourdough starter as opposed to a yeast. No, actually, I, I think I think yeast is fine. Uh, the problem with yeast is people tend to use too much, and it speeds everything up, and then you have all the problems that I talk about. Ah. So use very little yeast. And Jim Leahy's No Need Bread Recipe yeah. sort of championed that approach with just a quarter teaspoon of yeast. Right, and then so, you rise over the night in his recipe, right. I believe. And I yeah. rise anywhere from you know 12 to 48 hours, and I usually And rise. do you rise in the refrigerator? I rise it in the refrigerator, uh-huh. yeah. And do you squirt water into the oven while it's baking to enhance the crust? No, and, and you do need to create steam in some way to uh-huh. really create a crispy crust. Uh, you know, in the in the Leahy no need method, they they bake the, the bread in, like in a, a pot, yeah, yeah, and then right. you take off the top after yeah. about half an hour, so it's sort of steaming and in, inside the pot. Uh-huh. What I do is um, I sometimes use the pot method, but more often I just have a sheet a rim sheet pan on the bottom of the oven, yeah, uh, and when I put the bread in, I pour uh, like a basically two-thirds of a cup of boiling water into that sheet pan. Uh-huh, and that creates up, a steam. Steam, shut the oven door, 
and just don't open the door. I am so inspired. I mean, literally, I'm going to go home and make bread. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I've been thinking about making a lot is yogurt. So, you know, there you go, because that's on my way to making becoming a yeah, cheese maker. So, yeah. Right. And yogurt, I think, is pretty pretty easy. Pretty, very easy. So, yeah. But the best thing about, the thing I really loved about my book is I, I met all of these really obsessed, eccentric bakers uh, in California in the south of France, a guy who was growing his own ancient wheat, milling it himself yeah. in a windmill and baking it for his village. Wicked cool. And then, you know, went to Berlin and worked in a, in a bakery where they were grinding their own biodynamically grown grains. Yeah. You know, making these really fabulous whole grain loaves. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to go there because... Um, whole grains are just consumed as bread. It's not like we're not eating whole grains because people tell us to or because it's healthy. Yeah. You know, eat it because it's good. Because it tastes good. And I yeah. just wanted to, to go to a place where that was, you know, where that was the bread. Right. And I, I learned a lot from them. That as sounds well. great. Well, the name of the book is In Search of the Perfect Loaf, right? Uh, yeah. In Search of the Perfect Loaf, A Home Baker's Odyssey. Yeah. yeah. So uh, people should rush right out and pick up a copy of this and get busy with the yeast and the sourdough starter because it sounds really, really great. You've gotten wonderful reviews for the book. I mean, outstanding. So Thank you. Yeah. And the fact that you beat uh, regular bakers out in a baguette contest X number of years ago, that's really that's very inspiring, Sam. <laughs> and tonight's event, uh, hopefully no more tickets left, but just in case you want to do that, go to Fern Talks and Eats dot com and uh, pick up those last few seats for what promises to be a really extraordinary event like really unusual um, that totally caught my eye I was just like wow you guys that's crazy it sounds wonderful so um, thanks so much for joining us and you have uh, well it's obviously fern.org if people want to learn more about the the fern.org and you can sign up for the newsletter you can get those articles delivered into your uh, email box on a regular basis I urge people to sign up for this publication I have learned so much about about so many disparate uh, things that I never would have done any research on myself uh, had they not been brought to my attention through Fern. So, cool. and really we'll have admire. more. We'll have more coming your way yeah, soon. Yeah, so. I'm looking forward to hearing what you're doing next. Yeah. So, thanks so much for joining me today, Sam. I okay. really appreciate you coming out to the studio. Jim, Thank it you. Fun. It's great to be here. It was great to have somebody across this table from me instead <laughs> of just kind of like watching people eat their pizza. At <laughs> and thanks to Heritage Foods USA for the support today for my program. And we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot for listening and um, have a great week folks so long now thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org you can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio you can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>